You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic, one voice Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, Building the Collective Conscious, a show that's created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens. Oh, folks, it's a bright, sunny day out today. Oh, man, we got a special guest. I mean special. Oh, man, she's doing great things in Oklahoma City. She's a good friend of mine, and also... She's my boss, so I got to make sure I don't mess this thing up today. But we're so excited to have her here. Man, she's doing great work throughout Oklahoma, not just in Oklahoma City, folks. So I'm going to welcome to the show, to our show today, One Mic, One Voice. I think this is her first time on the show. I don't know how that happened, but she's got a busy, busy schedule. So, folks, I want to welcome to the show Reverend Shannon Fleck of Oklahoma Conference of Churches. Welcome. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. It's exciting to have you have you on the show. And uh, I mean, listen, I have been uh, a fan of yours for quite some time. We met a couple years ago, uh, had you uh, on a panel for the Ralph Ellison Foundation. Uh, I really found you by default because uh, I was looking for someone. The person couldn't be on there. And then they recommended you and And you did such an outstanding job that night. And I knew then we need to connect on multiple levels. And uh, and so I I just wanted to bring you on the show to talk a little bit about the conference, Oklahoma Conference of Churches. But but tell us what that's about and, and, and tell us about you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled obviously, and thrilled that our relationship was able to develop to the point where you could come and join us at the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, um, a vital staff member for the organization. Uh, The Oklahoma Conference of Churches started in 1972 as a platform to bring Christian denominations together in the spirit of unity and ecumenism, which is just a fancy word that means Christian denominations that are different coming together and working together. So that eventually expanded, and now we include all houses of worship from multiple faith traditions, not just Christianity. And a big piece of, you know, we we claim our Christian, you know, roots, but it's through our Christianity that we engage in interfaith work. So we, we love to engage people from across all lines. And we also have begun probably about 10 years ago, work in social justice and areas of social justice ministry and advocacy throughout the state. And we have different focus areas that we do that work within. And each focus area has these fancy theological statements that that describe why we feel that we need to be doing that work. So that's kind of an overall who we are and what we do in the state. We're really a connector and a motivator. And we empower communities of faith to to do things for change in the world. And I I know you... um 
before I joined the organization, you did a um, a thing on white privilege, mm-hmm. which was yes. man, it, you couldn't even get in. I mean, you know, and and that 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 to me just shows how powerful number one that program was, but also the interest in really kind of learning about that, and 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 on top of that, the desire for people to learn about it with something that you have initiated. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, in in 2017, I joined OCC as a staff person. I did not come on as executive director. And one of the things I noticed instantly was that amongst these areas of focus that we do work within, there was nothing about racism. There was nothing about discrimination. There was nothing about this, um, this plague that has existed within our country um, that feeds into all our other areas of focus, essentially. And um, so in August of 2017, I recommended to our board of directors that we add a focus area, which hadn't been done oh. in, in a while. And they, they said yes. And unfortunately, you know, that came on the heels of Charlottesville happening in, in August of 2017. And, um, you know, it was my plan to pitch this to our board before that happened, but then that occurred about a week before. And that really, I think just kind of brought it home that we, we can't not engage in this work. And And you know, those, oh, sorry. Those those white privilege events, came directly from my own internal work. You know, my approach to to anti-racism work was very much rooted in, I don't know enough. You know, I'm this white person who knows that racism is wrong, but I didn't know the depths of it. And I didn't know my personal relationship with race. And so I kind of brought the conference along on my own personal journey at that point through these white privilege trainings. You know, sometimes that's the, that's the best way to lead, right? Through your own personal experiences and uh, just bringing people along with kind of being, as, as we say nowadays, being woke or being enlightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so out of this um this kind of awakening for you, um, you decided uh, over a course of a period of, of time and, and, and me knowing this about you in contemplation because you you are a person that um, you move, but you move um, when you have gathered all of your thoughts, uh, which I think is so wise. Um, and, and so you decided to launch this initiative called No Hate in the Heartland. Can you talk a little bit about what was the impetus for that? I think you talked a little bit about, but what was it? And then uh, what is No Hate in the Heartland? You know, No Hate in the Heartland really just was something that planted inside of me, and that has to be God. You know, that's that's the only way I know how to describe that is this holy moment. And even though we declared that we were going to have this focus area in 2017, I did not write the theological statement until about a month and a half ago. And as you said, um, it's because I had a lot of work to do internally. I, if I had written that statement, which I could have done, I could have written that statement three years ago, but it wouldn't have been good enough. 
it would have been, it wouldn't have gone to the places it needed to go. And I knew that I could feel it. So getting, getting to that place internally where I could write that statement, but then after spending these, these past few years really just engaging in that work and diving deep into places that, that I didn't know existed, I knew that that couldn't be the stopping point. Um, that, that statement could not be the period in the sentence. There had to be a comma and it had to continue on into something bigger. And I would say after I got that statement written um, and started reflecting on, we need a comma and not a period, that's when this, this overall vision of no hate in the heartland came to be, that there wasn't this collective unified voice in the state of Oklahoma from a faith perspective that is actively standing up against hate in, in the state of Oklahoma. And really, there's no other platform except OCC in the state of Oklahoma to do that work. So we really, it was on my heart for a long time that we had to be a voice. We had to do something bigger. So No Hate in the Heartland is really about education, visibility, and engagement and, you know, even empowerment for people of faith to work against hate, however it shows up throughout our state. And that can happen in legislation. That can happen in our communities. That can happen through social engagement. It can happen in all, all sorts of ways. So we really, you know, are launching into new territory. And ultimately, what I want to do is, alongside of this year, of producing material and engagement, I want to have conversations about another comma. You know, where does no hate in the heartland go after this initial period of time? Um, because I feel like it's going to be something needed for a long time. Yeah. Hate is, um, you know, it is a human emotion, uh, that's powerful. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, the effort to eradicate <laughs> hatred is a worthy one. Uh, you brought up something very important uh, was your theological statement. Mm -hmm. And so for, for folks that are not in Oklahoma that are listening yeah. that, that have not, can you just give a quick synopsis of uh, what you wrote, what uh, you know, some of the key points um, and may, maybe, you know, you'd be pretty described why you've written it. Uh, but if you want to go into greater detail, that would be great. Sure. Yeah, they are um, pretty concise documents and they have three sections in our statements. And it says, you know, what we believe, why we believe it and what we advocate. And those are those are how our statements are formatted. So in the what we believe section for for this statement. And really this is one statement with two parts because I separated racism and then did an anti-discrimination piece. Um, and I did that for a multitude of reasons that, that we can go into here in a second, but if I don't come back to the statement, I'll just ramble. <laughs> so <laughs> um, in the what we believe section, I really talked about you know, human beings are worthy of, of everything God has to give them. 
And as humans, we are really just terrible about excluding one another from access to full inclusion, full love, full equity. And that is anti-biblical. That is, that is not conducive with what was preached and taught from Jesus. When we get into why we believe it, it's really the theological dissection. You know, I'm footnoting scripture to back myself up um, and really just going into this is what we've been told. God loves justice. Jesus came in the spirit of love and justice to uplift people who have been pushed aside by other human beings because we've been good at that for millennia just shoving people to the side and being hateful and horrible and that was a part if not the entire essence of what Jesus came to eradicate and what we advocate you know I we list bullet points of exact work we're going to be doing and so that looks like advocating for reparations, advocating for equity and inclusion, standing up and advocating for and against legislation that is hateful towards humanity, you know, multiple bullet points. And so those are all on our website. So anybody who is interested in seeing what that looks like and reading the words and specifically the words that took me three years to write, um, that's on our website at okchurches.org. So um, they they are very important documents, but they are also concise, which makes them even harder to write, in my opinion. No, that's uh, that's wonderful. Um, and you know, I I had the opportunity to view it um, prior to. Um, it being published because it was published in the largest newspaper in Oklahoma. And, uh, and I know the, um, how can I put this? Uh, I know the, uh, intense pressure that you were under, um, and this decision. So it was not made lightly. So that speaks to your conviction, right? Because, uh, no great decision is not made without some sort of weight, and you carried that weight and uh, it was published and, and the feedback has been tremendous uh, on that. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I mean, so much has collided in, in our, our nation over the summer with, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and so many others leading up to that. Um, and I know um, the work that, uh, the conference is doing is so vital um, to bring to be a leader, and that's really what what impresses me about the work that we do. Impresses me about you because uh, I'm just gonna put it like this in a vernacular term: the girl got courage. Okay, <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest with you. You know, some folks don't. <laughs> some folks don't have courage, man. Some folks don't want to stand up. You know, and uh, I'm so thankful. Uh, for you that you stand up and uh and you know just speaking uh you know folks that that follow the podcast know I just had uh Dr. Cornell West on and uh Dr. West was talking about you know some of the things that you were talking about this love and and inclusion and justice and and we have to speak the truth 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like his his thing throughout everything. Truth, you know, we can't. We have to be balanced, right? And uh, and 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 I think this work is 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 worthy of of everything, you know. I so so. What do you see? We have twenty twenty one coming up. We have mm-hmm. the Tulsa race massacre, the commemoration of that. Uh, where do you see? It might be too early, but where do you see uh, this message, this initiative, playing a role in? in the coming months and and years? Definitely not only helping set the stage for the important conversations that are going to happen around the centennial, but also creating space to continue those conversations after the centennial has, has passed. It's certainly, um, it's certainly good timing, you know, I mean, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind when I finally landed in the place where I could do justice to this, to this exact place, but it's maybe very serendipitous that it were at this point that we have, um, we have this national reckoning on race that's happening throughout the country right now. And maybe that was what helped hone in on the language I needed, but it's also a accumulation. And what I want to really help provide for people is that same experience, this cumulative storytelling, this, this experience of, of knowing intimately another's experience of knowing intimately what we are called to as people of faith of of having this engagement that feels raw and real internally within our being because that's the place where courage happens you know you you describe me as courageous i think it's because of the impact of the work the impact of of gaining that cumulative experience from from people in my community from people who were brave enough to share with me um i don't take any of that lightly i carry people's stories with me and it informs the bravery and courage and it informs the the drive to empower people and so i want to provide that for others and i think the tulsa race massacre is um I don't want to say a blemish in America's history because blemish doesn't even come close to the horrific event that that was. And I grew up in Oklahoma. I'm an Oklahoma native. And this, the biggest massacre of African Americans in this entire country's history occurred an hour and a half from my home. And I was never taught about it. I grew up attending school, taking Oklahoma history in college and high school, and never heard about it. And if I did hear about it, it was very whitewashed. It was very, it was a riot. And it, it happened because of this man. Um, And it was never fully, the story was not accurately told. And that was a big piece for me. I visited historic Vernon Chapel, AME Church in, in Tulsa in August, and the holiness of that building, because that's the last remaining structure from the massacre in 1921. And I tell you what, you can feel it in, in the bones of that place. 
the the just the holiness and also the horror of what people experienced that day and in the days that followed, because that was not just a one day event. Um, so I really hope that No Hate in the Heartland accompanies that recognition as as fully as we can. And certainly we've developed relationships with people who are going to be engaging in that work. And I'm hopeful that we can all collaborate to, you know, do this. You know, I, I think it's so important that history is not lost mm-hmm. to the, the archives. Um, although <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the archives, so have you. <laughs> But I I just think it's so important to have these difficult conversations, these difficult educational experiences, because I can guarantee you that there are people listening to us right now that have never heard of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. Yeah. I mean, not just Oklahoma folk, but folk around the the, the country. And, you know, again, I grew up, you know, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I heard about it. You know, what I mean, I, I, I just and when I got here, it was it was shocking to me that I had already heard about uh, Ralph Ellison, you know, had already read Visible Man, uh, John Hope Franklin uh, from Rentersville. I was, you know, those two were my literary heroes. I got mm-hmm. to Oklahoma and I was like, y'all don't know who these people are. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they're mm-hmm. from here. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so you have this knowledge and this celebration of uh, great things, but inside, inside Oklahoma, there is a lack of knowledge. And I wonder, do you see, uh, and you know, I'm not going to get you in trouble now, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, just looking at the faith community, um, would you say that the faith community outside of the conference is a um, united or divided faith or community? Mm. I think that outside of the work that we're doing, faith communities are existing in silos. Um, some are very divisive and, and some are creating immense divisiveness in communities throughout the state. And plenty are very content to exist within their four walls and, and do, do their work internally within, within their own structure. I, you know, I very much, and even when I was in seminary, always believed that a church's role or any faith community's role in a community is to be a voice and presence for morality, love, and justice within that community. And if we're not stepping outside of our walls, if we're not working to break down the silos that separate us, then um, are we truly living into this call? Are we truly loving our neighbor? Because if we're only loving our neighbor within the walls of our special faith community that we love, then we're not really doing the hard work that Jesus was calling us to do. Um, So, I mean, I see... I see a lot of different things. I, I have this advantage of having this, you know, 10,000-foot view of faith communities, and they're vastly different with vastly different goals and um, 
you know, that's a part of the work too of OCC is to try and unify faith communities together into this goal and purpose of the gospel. And I, you know, I'm glad that you pointed that out that, you know, that 10,000 foot view that you have. Um, and when you're, when you're on the ground, you can't see it. Right. And, and yes, I, I echo that importance of OCC and being able to bring folks out of their silos and understanding that, you know, love is love. Mm-hmm. Uh, inclusion is inclusion. Justice is justice. You don't, you don't need to be black or white or Protestant or Catholic or Jewish to understand what justice is, right? I mean, yeah. we live in a country where justice should be applied uh, equally and we know that's not the case. Um, I, I want to, um, in, in our closing time, I, but I want to come back to hate in the heartland, but I just want, you are in an industry, and I use that word, it's, it's such a, you know, I guess has industrial nature to it, but you're, you're in a industry that is male dominated. Oh, and gosh, yes. uh, and uh, talk a little bit about that experience and how you navigate that because I know there are there are women that are going to be listening to this program that that have that call on their life uh, or thinking about that call on their life uh, talk a little bit about what what has that experience been like and and and, and has it changed or is it the same it, it has changed. I wish I could say it's changed for the better, uh, but that, <laughs> that, that would be false, and I wow. don't want to provide yes. false. Um, yeah. um, and certainly a lot of that has to do with location. You know, I'm, I'm in the buckle of the Bible Belt where there's a lot of um, strong opinions about who should be a faith leader and who should not be. So my experience as a female in this position might not be the same as what it would be like for a female in another part of the country. From, from this context, it's hard. I mean, and a lot of the work I've had to do has been internal as far as, you know, reading the emails um, that are Mm. offensive Mm. and misogynistic and identifying them for exactly what they are and moving on, right? Um, The whole goal of of people trying to smash women in leadership is to get us to not be in leadership. And so if I respond by cowering and backing away or not being brave or not using my authority and voice the way God has called me to do so, Mm -hmm. that side is winning. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage any woman, it's, it's a day-by-day process. If you try and view it in bigger increments, it'll become too overwhelming. So take it day-by-day and um, learn how to breathe deeply into yourself to overcome the barriers that are put in front of you. But let me be clear, women are, women have grit. Yeah. I think women have grit and courage that men don't have. And the reason that is, is because we have to deal with this day in and day out in the same way a person of color has to deal with racism, 
women have to deal with misogyny and sexism and it's terrible and that's a big part of this no hate in the heartland platform and the anti-discrimination platform the bravery and the grit and the courage is there inside of you we just have to learn how to tap into it and make it effective so ladies if you're listening and and god is calling you into something scary have faith in that call and have faith in you being called because you have it within you. You just have to cultivate how to tap into it. And God's not making a mistake. God's got you. But it's not going to be easy. I appreciate your honesty in that. And, um, you know, uh, my heart goes out to you. Um, I'm a supporter. So, um, and, and I'm also, you know, I, I, I've been telling people um, that, we need to make the distinction between um, because when we say men, we toss black men in there and mm. black men, uh, we get exactly what you're talking about because okay. it's, 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 you know, we, we, we are not the ones normally in charge. We're not the ones making the decision. We're not the ones that they're allowing in the door. And I've right. often said for years that, that, that black men share the similar experiences that women do. Now we don't deal with the sexism and, and you know, I did, I put on the me too panel with women to, to, uh, to get this, this topic out there to talk about. So, so that I could learn and others could learn, Mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's, it is, it, it's a struggle each and every day. And I, I like how you said, you know, that grit, you, you, you have to, you know, you got to put on some, you know, my mother used to say to me, son, don't wear your feelings on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she used to tell me. Why you hurt? You know what I'm saying? You you got to toughen up. So I was raised by a tough woman. And mm-hmm. uh, I know the strength of a woman. Let me tell you something. And uh, and it 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 is amazing. And, and I just appreciate also, you know, you uh, continuing to do the work that you that you do, because I know it's not easy. And uh, but when you have been called, uh, you know, you can't you can't escape the call. So, you know, (laughs) you You really can't. And so um, how if if folks want to get involved in um, no hate in the heartland, uh, give, give them ways to do that. Yeah. I mean, if you're outside of Oklahoma and you want to get involved, we need support to continue as an organization and to engage in this work. Um, Inside of Oklahoma, email us. Okchurches at okchurches.org is our general email. Shoot us an email and we would love to get your information because as I said before, I don't know yet what this is going to grow into being. But I feel in my core like it is going to grow into something bigger. And we want passionate people, you know, ready and willing to to engage in the work. If you're outside of Oklahoma, let me just say that doing this work inside of Oklahoma is, is huge. And it's huge because the vast majority don't want it. Mm. And... And because we're taking this stance, which may not sound 
prophetic if you're not from here, but but here within these borders, this is a big deal, and we're we're going to take some hits for it. And we knew that going mm-hmm. in, you know, we we knew, and I had to carry that for a long time that we were probably going to lose people. Um, people weren't going to be happy with with where we were going next, and ultimately being prophetic won and i have to trust that that's because people are going to have our back and that may come from outside of oklahoma so you know if if you if if you are so moved we need you absolutely uh okchurches.org uh you can also donate too folks we you know we we're, we're open to uh, oh, yeah, uh, we open to funding. Funding helps to move this priority initiative forward. And 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 we're in good company because, uh, you know, when Dr. King came out against the Vietnam War, uh, people left him. Mm-hmm. People criticized him. And so whenever whenever you stand up for truth and justice, it is always a price to pay. But that's why the work is worthy. You know, it's been so wonderful having you on the One Mic One Voice show, right? It was it was too long, took too long. I I don't I don't know what happened. You know, maybe I uh, maybe I did something wrong or something. I don't know, but it. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to have you on here, and uh, folks, I want to inter- encourage you, please, to. Um, to go to the to the conference website and uh, read about all. I mean, we just talked about one initiative. There is multiple. There's great programming. Uh, there's a, a statewide opioid initiative for prevention that's there. Uh, it's it's the work is amazing. I'm just going to be honest with you. So go okchurches.org. Right? Am I am I saying that right? You got it. I got it. And uh, go there and uh, just investigate and reach out to us, encourage us. We can always use a good word. Mm -hmm. But, folks, it's been a tremendous show. Thank you so much, uh, Reverend, for coming on. And, uh, you know, as always, history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time. And what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. We can be the change that's in our life. All we gotta do is work together. We gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. Take a moment and subscribe and share. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or any other podcasting platform. Thank you for your continued support and for your voice. You can change the world. It's your choice.
The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the One Mic, One Voice show are not the views, thoughts, and opinions of our sponsors.